You're about to hear a message that was preached at Calvary Fellowship in Miramar, Florida. At Calvary, we exist to help people take their next step with God. And we pray that this message helps you do just that. How's everybody doing? Happy New Year. If I didn't see you last week, we're glad that you're here. Uh, For those of you that have been around Calvary for a while, you probably know this, but uh, I wasn't the best student in school. I did great in college, but first through 12th was really where I was a little shaky. And, And one of the reasons for that, not the only reason, one of the reasons was I just wasn't paying attention, but one of the reasons was my parents... Uh, my parents are from Cuba, which should explain a lot. Um, but my parents did not understand the concept of homework. Uh, they thought homework was something that I was making up to try to get out of working. Because about two or three days a week, I wouldn't take the school bus home. My mom would pick me up from school, and we'd go straight into downtown Boston, where my stepdad ran a cold storage facility. And that's where, I, uh, two, three days during the week, and then all day on Saturday, that's where I would be. And so I, when I would say to them, hey, listen, I can't work after school. I have homework. And they would say, listen, you went to school all day. If you're not smart enough to finish your work at school, that's not our problem. Now it's time to work. And so I would spend, you know, once again, I'm talking like 10, 11, 12 years old. I spent afternoons and early evenings operating a forklift, which by the way, how would you let a kid who's 10 years old drive a forklift? But anyway, here we are. So that's what I was doing. Uh, and, and all the while, my parents telling me that kids in Cuba, they could finish their work at school and not have to take it home. And I'm like, well, Cuba seems like a paradise. Why'd you ever leave? Um, and, uh, and when I regained consciousness, I learned never to ask that question again. So <laughs> now I, I got into a particular pickle because of that. When I was in the eighth grade, we had this pop quiz in our science class. And I did very well on the test. I only missed three questions. The problem is the kid that was sitting next to me, whose name was JP, uh, he only got three questions wrong also. To add another complication, we got the same three questions wrong. And of course, to add a different complication, we answered the same thing on the three questions that we got wrong. And so my teacher calls me up. She never called JP up, by the way. She calls me up and she says, Robert, did you copy off JP's paper? And I said, no, ma'am. She said, that's weird because on question number 20, he wrote, I don't know. And you wrote me neither. (laughs) (laughs) That part is a joke. But, uh, but, (laughs) but truth be told, Truth be told, she, she made me retake the test. And, and the thing is, I have a pretty good memory. So by the time that I had written down all the answers, I memorized them. So then when I took the test again, I just wrote down all the same answers. And so she, she was so upset. She took six wrong, gave me a 70%, which back then, that was a C minus. That's a gift. That's Christmas uh, for me. And so now, sometimes we have this thought. That when we start walking with God, we start following Jesus, we start thinking that our faith is never going to get tested. And that uh, everything is going to be great all the time. And the reality is that's not the promise that the Bible gives to us. The Bible tells us in, in in a good amount of times that difficult times come into everyone's life. The promise 
It's not that you're not going to have difficult times. The promise is that God is never going to be absent during those challenges. In fact, not only is he not going to be absent, but he wants to prepare us for the pop quizzes that come into our lives so they don't wipe us out. And so, because you and I know this to be the case, you can't copy off somebody else's paper when you're facing a test in your life, and you can't tap into someone else's faith. You got to build your own faith when the time of testing comes. And that's what the Apostle Paul is going to talk about in our time together. And if if you're not aware, we are in the 14th message, if you can believe that, in a series that we've been calling Old School. We've been working our way through these two books of the Bible, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy. There are these little letters in the New Testament written to a young man named Timothy, Paul's protege in the faith. And um, the first Timothy, which we finished earlier, uh, was really about how the church should operate in a culture that's gone crazy. But Second Timothy is a little more uh, personal. It's a heavier tone because as scholars call it, it's Paul sharing his last will and testament. He's in prison and he knows that he's going to die shortly. And so what he does is, is that he writes to Timothy everything that he wants to tell him. Timothy's been pastoring this church in the city of Ephesus, which is the second largest city in the Roman Empire outside, of course, of Rome itself. And there was a lot of confusion about what was true and right and good. And Paul's words were simply old school, if you can call them, because they were like latitude and longitude. You can chart the course of your life by them. And because this is Paul's final letter, it's heavy. And not one word is wasted. And that's why we've been taking our time, working our way through them. And as Paul looks at um, these final words to share with Timothy, one of the things that he wants to share with him is that difficult times are coming, but that difficult times can be met with real faith. And so what I want to do in our time together is not just talk about difficult times, but talk about why difficulties come into our lives, how to get through the difficulties, and of course, how to grow as a result of them. So we're going to start in 2 Timothy chapter 3, in verse 1. Here's what we read. He says, But know this, that in the last days, perilous or difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money. Boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. And if you pause there and give me your attention, there's three things I want to talk about in in our time together. But the first one is this, is that difficult times are a sign of the times. Now, there's a lot of confusion and sometimes a little bit of excitement around the idea of what Paul says when he talks about the last days. And so I do my best when we talk about end times or last days and what the Bible teaches about that. We, We talk about that. And just in case you're not aware, the last days began the moment that the church was born in Acts chapter 2. When all uh, the people, um, you know, Jew and Gentile, were all invited to draw close to God. In Acts chapter 2, the believers were praying together. In the city of Jerusalem, the Holy Spirit comes in, as the Bible says, like a rushing wind, and, and they start speaking in other languages. And what's amazing is, is that the people who heard them all heard them saying, we hear them praising God in our own tongue. And so... Uh, they, people were blown away by it. They marveled at it. And then there were some that were mocking, saying, ah, oh, those people are probably drunk, which is what causes the apostle Peter to stand up and, and, and preach this amazing sermon. But here's the beginning of it. He says this in Acts chapter 2. He says, for these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. 
It shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So the last days began at the birth of the church when the Holy Spirit fell on the believers. And that leads through today and up until the time of the second coming of Jesus. Now, one of the things that happens when we talk about last days is we tend to focus on things that happen at a national or global scale. What Paul does is something totally different. He really zeroes in and he focuses on things that happen as a, at a personal level that we see day in and day out. And once again, I think if we read this list, it really describes our culture perfectly. And there's 19 descriptions that Paul gives, and, and we're not going to cover um, every one of them exhaustively because once again, some of them are pretty self-explanatory. But uh, I want to give us a picture of the world that we're living in. So we're going to pick out a few. So the first one, where he says that men will be lovers of themselves. Now, this idea is not the idea of personal health, taking personal time or self-care. The idea of lover of themselves is selfishness and caring only for yourself. The problem is the idea of selfishness, and that is getting what I want, seems like that would be me getting what I want. The problem is, is that selfishness destroys everything that it touches. And if you don't believe me, try to pepper in a little selfishness into your marriage, see what happens. Pepper some selfishness into your friendships, see what happens, right? It just, it destroys everything. And the problem is this, is that our culture has blasted us with this message that the best thing that you can do is focus on yourself and find yourself and put yourself first. And, and, you know, and by the way, if you, people who do that, um, just FYI, they're miserable. But see, the Bible doesn't teach us. Jesus never taught us to focus on ourselves or find ourselves or put ourselves first. Here's what Jesus taught us. He said this, deny yourself. He said, deny yourself and, and we will actually find the thing that we're looking for. Jesus would say it this way in the gospel of Matthew. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. You see, it's not that God doesn't want you to be healthy or take time for yourself. It's that God recognizes that his plan for purpose in your life and his plan for your personal discovery never happens in a vacuum. It always happens when we deny ourselves, follow him, then we get, find the thing that we've been seeking. And I saw this happen a couple of years ago. My family, we were in Orlando on vacation and we went to uh, Target. And I don't know if you guys do this, but we, we're, we're big on this. We'll go, if, if we go somewhere on vacation, the first thing that we'll do is we'll find like a Target or something um, and we'll buy supplies. I don't know if you do that. That's just like the Cuban in me that I buy like breakfast cereal and water and gallons of milk and bring it to the hotel. And they're like, you know, we sell that. Like, I, I know, but I'd have to, you know, mortgage my house to buy your breakfast. And so anyway, so we buy, we'll buy a bunch of stuff. But the other thing that we've done and we've taken this next level is that what I, you know what I can't stand is like people bringing like every single household item that they have. Like we bring like this giant uh, thing of shampoo. Like you don't need that. I, I tell my wife this all the time. Like where we're going is civilization. They sell shampoo there. Let's just pony up the three bucks so that, because you know, you're going to take the shampoo, you're going to put it in the bag and then you're going to open it up and it's going to have gone everywhere because the cap broke and whatever. And so like, let's just spend the three bucks and buy the four or five things that we need. So anyway, that's what we were doing one day we were there 
And so while the girls were doing that, my son and I, uh, my son Xander, we, we went to the toy section to see what was cooking over there. And when we got there, there was a mom and her uh, five-year-old son that was in, they were in an argument, which is, by the way, the best thing I saw that day. And so, and the mom was great. And, um, and she was like, Dexter, we're leaving, Dexter. Don't make me come get you, Dexter. You're not going to like it if I go down the aisle, Dexter. Don't make me say your name, Dexter. Let's go, Dexter. And, uh, and, and then I see the mom walk down the aisle, and she disappears. A second later, I hear, you know, some, you know, a child screaming, and I see a mom walking out. You ever see someone walk out, like, by a carpet at Home Depot? And just like, and that, I mean, she carried that kid out like he was a public six-foot sub. Like, just, and then my son, we looked at each other, we're like, oh, that's Dexter. And, uh, which, by the way, I never thought that name would, like, perpetuate after the TV show. And yet it lives on unlike most of Dexter's victims. And uh, not that I've ever seen the show, but I've heard about it. And so, but you know, and here's the fun, and here's why I tell you that. Not just because kids that are five are crazy, but um, it's because when you're, I mean, if you're a five-year-old kid and you're in Orlando, there's got to be a million places that are better than the toy aisle at Target, which is probably just like the toy aisle from wherever it is that they live. But see, the, the problem is, is that when we can't see, and this is not just a problem when you're five, it's a problem that happens when you're 45 or 95 or wherever you are, is that sometimes when we cannot see beyond ourselves, uh, beyond what we want, we miss out on so much that God has for us. And listen, that's why uh, this poor kid was denying himself a world of blessing to experience because he couldn't get beyond himself. And listen, if you want to live well, the first thing you got to do, do what Jesus, deny yourself. You're going to find the life that you wanted. The second thing that he says a couple of these are lovers of money and then boasters. Um, boasters doesn't just mean that they're proud. Uh, in fact, because he'll say that next. He says that they're boasters, then they're proud and blasphemers and all that. Boasting, the Greek word means this, that they are imposters. That is, they're faking it. They're selling you something that isn't true. I mean, this is kind of when we talk, if you hear people talk about like snake oil salesmen from 150 years ago, um, that was true. But these are people that are, they're making claims that can't be substantiated. And that's the idea. And so I was having a conversation the other day with someone, and I don't mean to step on any toes, but I was having a conversation with someone about essential oils. And uh, I know I'm already hearing it, like ladies got nervous. Uh, so it's all right, ladies, it's going to be all right. It's going to be, we're going to get through it together. Okay. Um, but I, the thing that I, and once again, I don't have a problem. If you want to use essential oils, knock yourself out. I mean, not hopefully not with the oils, but, um, but you know, like, but then again, you can probably revive yourself with one of the oils because that's probably has something too. But I, what I said, I was talking to the person. I'm like, listen, essential oils is basically marketing. And they're like, how dare you? And I'm, and I'm like, it is, um, marketing is what puts the essential in essential oils. And they're like, that's not true. I said, okay, can you name me three non-essential oils? And they're like, I don't understand the question. And I'm like, see, that's the problem. Marketing is what put the essential and essential oils because no one would buy them if they were called take it or leave it uh, oils. And I think it would impact sales. And listen, it's just what we do, like, right? At my house, um, every once in a while, my, my son will say, because my son is at an age where he gets hungry, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and then... He's like um, the hobbits in Lord of the Rings where they like have second breakfast and second lunch and then like, hey, can I have a bowl of cereal at 11 p.m.? Anyway, the kid's eating all the time. And so uh, he's like, hey, dad, can you make me a world-famous grilled cheese? Of course. 
I invented the world-famous grilled cheese, and it is cheese and bread. That's, well, and also like half a stick of butter, uh, which is the real secret to, to this. And, uh, and, and once again, but what makes it world-famous? Marketing is what makes it world-famous. And the point is, is that, you know, there's just people that are faking it um, in, in our culture everywhere. Socrates, I don't quote him often, but Socrates said this, uh, talking about these type of imposters, he says this, he says, these people can be found in any walk of life, but they are most commonly found in politics. And uh, man, this, he was a wise man. And uh, so now he goes on, he says, it's proud, blasphemous, disobedient to parents, unthankful. Let's talk about that one for a second. The, the Greek word is a karistos. A in, whenever you see the, uh, a Greek word with a in front of it, it means uh, not. So just like we un means not. So um, karistos, charis, is the Greek word for grace. So this is the, the idea here is this is a person who is ungracious and ungrateful. If we were doing a modern translation, we would say that they were this. They were entitled. And this is the culture that, that we live in, that people think the world owes them something. And listen, gratitude ends the moment that entitlement walks through the door. And if your goal is to be really unhappy in life, then be entitled, and you'll be, you'll be miserable. And, and if you don't believe me, find someone who's $200,000 in student loan debt and has this entitlement thinking that the government is going to forgive it. They are not happy individuals. And, uh, oh, thank you. I didn't even mean for that, but I guess we're all on the same page, right? It's like, hey, I'm, I'm so, you spent $200,000 on a PhD in gender studies, and you found 87 genders, but you haven't found one that has joy. And, uh, and, and, and listen... Oh, all right. These are my people. These are my people. All right, we're here. We're together. That's good. But listen, you want to know, um, and listen, I'm not, I'm poking fun, but the reality is, is that the beauty of living graciously, when what I mean by that is grace, and if you've been around Calvary, we talked about this, grace is getting what you don't deserve. When you realize that I don't deserve anything, but everything that I've experienced has come into my life uh, is because God is gracious and good and loving towards me. You know what will happen? You will hold things with an open hand. You will be grateful for everything that, that, that happens to you. And listen, that is absolute. And if you want to live a way that has the most joy, be a gracious person. Be a person who not only is gracious towards others, but you receive everything in grace. He goes on where he says they're not just uh, unthankful, unholy, he says they're unloving. I want to talk about that one. I've told you this in the past, if you've been around uh, Calvary, that um, there's several different words for love in the Greek language. We have one, love, and we use it pretty much for everything, right? So it's like, I love my wife, I love my children, I love the Red Sox, I love pancakes, and all of them, are, we would think that they're all kind of at equal levels, and, and they're not, but the Greek language uh, has such specificity when it talks about love. And so when it says unloving, it's this, uh, the Greek word is a storge. Remember, uh, a means not. Storge is a word for love that speaks of familial love, parental love. And so what he's saying is, is that there's gonna be a time in the last days where the most natural type of love, the type of love that a parent would feel for their children, that that's not gonna be there. And, and listen, there, we see this in many ways, but one way we absolutely see it in our country is in the number of abortions that happen in our country every year. I don't know if you know this, that in New York, one out of three pregnancies is terminated. 
Um, in New Jersey, 30% is the abortion rate. In um, Washington, D.C., 38%. And just because I know you're curious, in Florida, it's 26% of an abortion rate with the highest rates coming from Dade and Broward counties. That's why I have long said that the most dangerous place to live in America is in your mother's womb. And here's the thing that breaks my heart about it. The thing that breaks my heart is that you go online and we, we, we have, you know, hashtag shout your abortion and, and we celebrate the culture of death that we've created. And listen, we can talk about being forward-looking and progressive and advanced as a situation, but we have lost parental love, which is the most basic love of human civilization This is the reason why Billy Graham used to say at his crusades that if God does not judge the United States of America, he owes Sodom and Gomorrah an apology. Well, moving on. Uh, He says they're unloving, they're unforgiving, they're slanderers. Um, We live in a society where rumors start and then social media decides the verdict before any facts get presented. Have you realized that? That it's like, I don't need the facts. I know how I feel about this. And, 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 and I'm telling you, it is, um, and the, the reason is, and once again, I don't know why we do this as a society, but we assume the very worst in people. And then we just run with that. It is a terrible way to live. And once again, sometimes with just a little bit of time, you find out that all of these things weren't true. And, and listen, you've probably experienced it in your life. I certainly have experienced it in mine. I remember a few years ago, or not a few years ago, it was a number of years ago now, we were meeting in a movie theater uh, back, back in the day. It was, that, meeting in a movie theater is not as fun as it is to meet here, but um, going to church and it smells like popcorn is not a bad situation, especially, and then some people would buy Twizzlers and stuff before they went in. So, uh, but uh, there was a lady who was attending Calvary, this is years ago, and then she left, and she just started trashing me and just saying all these things. None of them were true uh, about me. And, and then about a year later, she comes back. And, I'm, and, I, and I see her in the lobby of the theater, and I'm like, hi, how you doing? And she's like, hey, I just want to let you know I'm back and everything's okay. And, and I'm like, um, I think I should be the one letting you know if everything's okay. And she's like, well, let me just explain what happened is that you know, we were attending, and then my son told me he was gay, and I didn't know how the church would respond, so I didn't want to say that, uh, I don't want to deal with that, so, uh, which by the way, we love everybody, but anyway, um, but, but so I just left, and so then when people would ask me why I left, couldn't tell them the real reason, so I just started saying terrible things about you, but listen, don't worry, I'm back, it's okay, and I'm like, oh, I'm a little worried, um, because, you know, the, the, it's not because people make decisions based on things that they hear. And, and I'm like, look, I forgive you. And she's like, oh, then we're good. I'm like, well, we're good. But you know, um, I don't know if you can track down a few of those people that you like said all these, you know, horrible things. It's like, you know, he's an ax murderer or whatever he is. And, uh, and, and that just wasn't true. And, and listen, and the problem is if you want to live well, if you want to be miserable, just, just believe everything at first glance. But if you want to be someone who lives well, um, believe the best in people. Believe the best in people, because that's what love does, by the way. According to 1 Corinthians 13, it says that love believes all things and it hopes all things. And I've made it my rule to not judge people over one thing that they say or one error that they make, which is what most trolls do. Um, instead, what the much better way to do it is to look at the span of their life and say, what is, what is this person's life about? 
oh yeah, and they'll be like, yeah, but do you know, in 2004, did you hear what they said? And I'm, you know, and, and people say that to me, like every political season that comes in, did you hear about what they said in 2005? Like, yeah, like a backyard barbecue, you know what I mean? And it's like, and by the way, let's even say it's true. Like, have you grown since 2004? Well, me, yeah, but, they, but they, and it's like, dude, then maybe, maybe, maybe I, I, what I'd rather do instead of just judging someone based on one sentence is based what someone's life is over the span of their work, the span of their commitment, the span of their relationships and, and their career and, and everything that they've done. Listen, it's a much better way to live. And then when he gets down to the end, he says this, and this is really the, the heart of it. He says, having a form of godliness but denying its power. What, what he means is, is that these people want to look spiritual and sound spiritual, but really, they're far from God. And I'm telling you, the thing that hurts the cause of Jesus in the world um, is not, I think, forces from outside many times. It is what happens inside the church. It's believers who don't act like believers. Um, it's people who say that the way of Jesus is the best way to live, but don't live like that. And then people who don't believe look on and be like, dude, I want you to live it. But if you're not living it, you're, you're expecting, and then you, you want me to sign up. And, and, and listen, um, the, the, the point is this, and this is really, I think, at the heart of it. Sometimes we look on at the world and we think it's totally off. The, what is God going to do? It's totally off the rails. And then we read something like this, and here's what we know, is that this is happening according to plan. God told us that this is what the culture was going to be like as we got closer to the end. And so none of this took him by surprise because he's working on all of it. Well, he goes on in verse 6, and he takes that form of godliness and, and he pushes that idea further. He says, For of this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins, led astray by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, so do all these resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds disapprove concerning the faith, but they will progress no further, for their folly would be manifest to all as theirs also was. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, second thing is that difficult times can be spiritual in nature. What, what I mean is, is that sometimes things are happening because it's just part of the culture. Sometimes difficult things happen because we do dumb things. Sometimes difficult times come because it's just spiritual attack. And Paul's comment, by the way, when he talks about uh, people, he says that these people come in, they creep in, and they prey on these gullible women. Now, people who are not Christians go crazy over this. Like, I can't believe that's his thoughts on all women. That's not his thoughts on all women. It's his, what Paul called these women that were uh, uneducated and vulnerable. The thing that you have to understand is that at that time, not every woman was educated. They were in the Hebrew culture, and of course, um, when the church began, women were educated as well. But that was not the case necessarily in the secular culture of the day. And so lack of education and understanding coupled with guilt made these precious women vulnerable to false teaching. And that's why Paul brings up these two names, Janus and Jambres, who we learn are the names of two of the Egyptian magicians who opposed Moses when uh, they went to Pharaoh to release the people. And if you remember, if you read Exodus or you saw the movie, then you know that Moses and Aaron show up to Pharaoh, let my people go. He says no. And then I want you to notice what happens. It says this. It says, so Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron threw down his staff 
in front of Pharaoh and his officials, and it became a snake. Pharaoh then summoned wise men and sorcerers, and the Egyptian magicians did the same things by their secret arts. Each one threw down his staff, and it became a snake, but Aaron's snake swallowed up, uh, Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs, and yet Pharaoh's heart became hard, and he would not listen, just as the Lord had said. It's amazing to me. They take a staff, they throw it down, it turns into a snake, and these magicians show up, and somehow they're able to pull off the same thing. It, it, we find out later, and I, I, won't, I won't go through the whole thing, but Moses and Aaron turn the Nile into blood, and the, the Egyptian magicians do the same thing. Then when the plague of frogs comes, the magicians do, more, do the same thing. They add frog, more frogs to the mix. And here's the thing, is that when you read the, pass, the, 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 the account in Exodus, he says there's going to be frogs everywhere. There's going to be frogs in, in your homes. There's going to be frogs in your kettle. There's going to be frogs in your bed at night. There'll be frogs in your clothes. The frogs will be everywhere. Now, I want you to think about this. I want you to think about what would happen in your house right now if one frog got in, right? So about a month and a half ago, a frog got into my house that is about the size of a half dollar. You would have thought someone came into my house with a machine gun because people were like running for cover. And, uh, and, and, it, it, I, it, and so anyway, I just, I got a, cornered it, got a plastic cup, scooped him up and then tossed him out into his home. And, um, it's like, hey, man, I don't go outside. You don't come in here. That's the, that's the way we do it. Let's keep the relationship professional. And so, but and this is the thing that I find so amazing is that they're all they're do, they're, Now, so could you imagine frogs in like, hey, you know what I could do? I could make more frogs appear. It's like, no, we don't need that, dude. We don't need. And so the frogs are everywhere. And, uh, and by the way, the thing that I also love is that uh, they go to Pharaoh and then he says, you know, hey, let my people go. And, and then... Pharaoh says, oh, will you take away the frogs? And he says, um, okay, so uh, tomorrow then. Like, no, Pharaoh, just say yes now. No, tomorrow. Like, let me just have one more night with the frogs, and then we'll, 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 we'll deal with that. And, and it was, now, the thing that you've got to understand, and this is important, the 10 plagues in Egypt were not random things. The 10 plagues in Egypt were strategic judgments against the gods of Egypt. They worship the Nile River, so the Nile turns to blood because their god is bleeding to death. Uh, they worship Ra, the sun god, so there's a plague of darkness. And then we get to the point where Moses and Aaron, uh, by the power of God, produce gnats. This is where the tables start to turn because the Egyptian magicians can't replicate it. And why was gnats so important? They, they didn't uh, worship gnats. Gnats were considered unclean in Egypt. And the country being infested with gnats made the entire country unable to worship their false gods. And this is the moment that the magicians had met their match. In fact, in Exodus 8, it says it this way. It says, but when the magicians tried to produce the gnats by their secret arts, they could not. Since the gnats were on people and animals everywhere, the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. There was a spiritual war that was happening and it was evenly matched for a bit. And then there was this moment when the power of God prevailed as the people of God continued to be faithful. Now here's the point. Why is all of this happening and why does God allow the Janus and Jambreses of the world to cause problems? Is because when you think about, listen, 
It's hard to realize this in the moment, but when you think about everything that Moses and Aaron are going to experience as they lead the people out of Egypt through the desert and into the promised land, there's going to be bigger challenges than those guys. They're going to have to walk through a sea that's been parted. Now, we've seen the movie, we've heard the story, and so we don't think about it as like, well, yeah, that's just what you do. You walk through it. No one had ever done this. This was a scene that was, you know, dozens of feet high or, you know, hundreds of feet high. And so we go in and we find out, oh, that was just a strong wind that did that. We're all dead. And so yet there was this, hey, we got to trust that if that God is leading us. And so God does these miracles, these plagues, like, hey, then we understand the the next one is, is now. And so listen, sometimes there's so many challenges that we experience. And once again, the Janus and Jambreses of the world think they're going to wipe us out. And all that they're doing is preparing us for the next season of blessing and favor as God does his amazing work in our lives. Now, listen, I wish this wasn't true. But the only way that your faith grows is through testing. Pressure produces diamonds and it also produces powerful believers. I wish, I mean, if I could wish anything. One of the things that I wish is that I could get ripped by watching other people work out. <laughs> like, honestly, I love, uh, I love, like, I love watching the CrossFit games. Uh, I love, th- they used to do these things on ESPN. They don't do them anymore. It was called the ESPN strongman competition where guys would have to lift like these, um, they'd have to do all this like big cinder blocks and like rip a tire in half. I mean, it was pretty amazing. And so I just have this wish that I could sit on my couch with a Coke and a pizza, and a box of donuts, and just like, wow. And then, just like, and as I'm doing that, watching them intent, like, like, I just feel the surge of muscles start bulging. And then people would walk up to me on the street, and they'd be like, man, you are so muscular. Do you happen to watch a lot of weightlifting? <laughs> well, yes, I do. And so, but you know, faith, like, muscles don't grow like that, and faith muscles don't grow like that either. Faith grows when we accept the challenges that God gives us. We, we feel the weight of them, and we allow God to stretch us because we rarely grow when things are growing, going great, right? Like, nobody talks about huge spiritual breakthroughs that happen at Disney World, right? Nobody's like, man, God, I'm telling you, man, God was speaking. I was on Space Mountain. God was speaking to me. You know, it's like, you know, unless you're afraid of roller coasters and you're like, God, save me. I mean, that's probably the only thing you think you're hearing. And so... But listen, the reality is, is that the moments of greatest growth in your life have most likely been the moments of deepest pain. And the painful moments have brought an ability to experience great joy. And I wish it wasn't like that, but it is the case. And the only way that you get to joy is by traveling through the difficult roads. Or if we want to put it in, in, in more biblical terms, the way you get to resurrection is down the road of crucifixion and burial. Well, then he says this in verse 10. Here's what we'll begin to draw to a close. He says, But you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured. And out of them the Lord out of them all, the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who uh, desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. If you'll pause there and uh, give me your attention. 
The last thing I want to tell you is that difficult times are proof of your direction. What that means is that sometimes when you feel the opposition, you know that you're going against the grain of the culture and seeking to do the thing that God wants you to do. What Paul does, and what I want to focus on in these verses, is that Paul talks about his own Janus and Jambres moments, where he experienced persecution and opposition. And the way he describes it is by mentioning three cities. He mentions Iconium, Antioch, and Lystra. So I want to talk about it just for a second, and I think it'll kind of wrap up what we're talking about. Um, Paul shows up in his uh, ministry buddy, Barnabas. They show up in a city called Antioch, and you can read the story in Acts chapter 13. Paul and Barnabas show up, start preaching. Wonderful things start happening. People start coming to know Jesus. It's a move of God. And then there were Jews in the city that were jealous of the fact that people were coming to know Jesus. They raise up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, expel them from the entire region. So they're like, all right, cool, we'll leave. So they go to a place called Iconium. The story of Iconium is found in Acts chapter 14. It's a very similar story. They start preaching, and through the preaching of Paul, think about this, half the city is converted to Christianity in, in, in this one uh, meeting that, that Paul is, the, the time that he's there. It's such a big divide that then it starts stirring up all of these problems in the city, and they try to stone Paul, and he leaves. He's like, hey, I don't get stoned. And so, just to make sure you're awake, sorry. Uh, not that kind of stoned. And, uh, but he, he, they try to stone him, but he leaves. And then he goes to a city called Lystra. The story of Lystra can be found in Acts chapter 14. This one's a little more serious. They get to Lystra. They see a man as they walk into the city who has never walked in his life. Paul prays for him and the guy's healed. People start going crazy in a good way. The whole city says the gods have come down to us. In fact, in Acts 14, let me read it to you real quick. It says, but when the people saw that what Paul had done, they raised their voices, saying in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. And Barnabas, they called Zeus, and Paul, Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. Then the priest of Zeus, whose temple was in front of their city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates, intending to sacrifice with the multitudes. Now, I want you to think about what's happening here. By the power of God, Paul prays for this guy to be healed, and he's healed. And, and the people make this determination. These two men are gods. They explain, we're not, we're only men, but we serve the true God, and you should all follow him. So far, so good. Then what we read is that the troublemakers from Antioch and Iconium, they follow Paul and Barnabas to Lystra. They persuade the crowds, and, well, let me read you what happens next. It says, then Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there, and having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. It is amazing that how the tide changes. Just a few, you know, just a little while ago, they thought he was a god and they wanted to offer sacrifices to him, and now they stoned him to death uh, shortly after that. Now, many scholars believe that Paul actually did die there. Uh, because when Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, when he talks about, uh, um, I know a man in Christ, and he has this picture of heaven and what heaven looks like, and he explains all of that, many scholars believe that it happened at this moment. It doesn't have to be, but whatever it is, Paul says, God delivered me out of all of it. And the point that Paul is making is that no matter how difficult things get, as long as your purpose on this planet isn't done, you're not going anywhere. You see, Paul saw persecution and said, okay, I, I guess the door's closing here. And he moved on, but he never let the opposition shut him down. And sometimes the fact that people are opposing us means that we're doing the right thing because it's always harder to swim against the current. 
And listen, I know that it's difficult because, um, and all of us have experienced this if you've walked with God with any, for any length of time, but when you get through a season of difficulty, you are a different person. And it's not just that you're different, but you're also ready for greater responsibility and can steward a greater blessing. And here's one of the lessons that some of us have learned, and I hope all of us do, is that when you fail tests in life, you have to take the test again. But when you overcome, you move up to greater levels, greater responsibility, and as I said, greater blessing. That's why when we get to chapter 16, Paul goes out again on another missionary journey. He goes to a city called Philippi, and he's um, detained, he's beaten, he's arrested, and he's sentenced to be executed. And he gets thrown into prison with his um, other ministry buddy, a guy named Silas, but Paul doesn't sweat it. And I mean, Paul's keeping it way looser than I would um, because at midnight in the prison, they were singing and giving thanks. And, and I'm, you know, you read it and you're like, how in the world could this guy be so confident that he's just, hey, I'm going to sing during, during my affliction? Well, we get a little bit of a hint. At the beginning of Acts 16, Paul has a vision. And in the vision, it's a man from Macedonia that says, come help us. And we, Paul gets to Macedonia and he has not met this man. In fact, what most scholars believe is it was actually Luke, um, the writer of the book of Acts, that was saying, come help us. Because after this happens in Acts 16, it goes from this is what Paul did to this is what we did. And so then it becomes a group thing where they realize that this is when Luke joined the entourage of ministry that was happening. And so... But Paul gets to Macedonia and he hasn't, that guy, he hasn't seen him. And so Paul's there at midnight and he's singing and rejoicing because he's saying, God's given me a vision for what I'm supposed to do. And there's no way that my life would be over if I haven't fulfilled the mission that he's had for me. And he's like, hey, you can hit me, you can imprison me, you can think you've beaten me, but I've still got a vision. And if I've still got a vision, then I've still got a song in my heart to sing. And listen, circumstances might be giving you the beating of your life. But as long as you have a vision from God, it isn't over. You know, in verse 12, he says, yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. It reminds me of this passage in the Psalms that says, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him from them all. You see, the point is this. Don't lose heart. Don't give up. Don't call it quits. Remember the vision that God has given you and rejoice that, listen, no matter what happens, God is with you because he's never going to leave you. The, the trouble that you're experiencing isn't going to last forever because many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them from them all. The hard part is when you might be in the part of the story that's just the affliction of the righteous part and you haven't experienced the deliverance yet. Here's my encouragement to you to do what Paul did. Start giving thanks now. Start praising God now. Start preparing your heart for the deliverance that he's going to bring because as you do, you're going to watch God bring things out in a way that you could have never worked it out for yourself. You know how it worked out for Paul? He could have never put this together. They were praising and singing at midnight. And then an earthquake happened. And as it happens, because like in all earthquakes, an earthquake happens and it opened all the doors. That's all that happened. Was all, well, that's what happens. It opens all the doors in the prison. The Philippian jailer shows up And he takes a sword and he's about ready to kill himself with the sword. Because there's a Roman law 
that says, if you're a jailer and your prisoner escapes, you take his sentence. And so he was like, look, if I, these guys were going to get executed, I'd, I'd rather just do it than experience what Rome's going to do to me. And Paul and Silas say, don't do anything to yourself. We're still here. And the guy is trembling. You can read all this. He's trembling. He falls at his, at, on his knees and he gives his life to Jesus that day and his whole family comes to know Jesus in that day. And, and, and listen, here's, here's my point. God moved the earth for Paul to be free and for that guy to come to know Jesus. And listen, maybe God is going to move heaven and earth to change your situation, to set you free. And while we're waiting for it, let's sing, let's give thanks, let's pray. Lord, we want to thank you so much. Thank you for loving us. Thank you that you're never going to leave us or forsake us and that you want to do a good work in and through us. So I pray, Lord, I pray for every person here going through a a difficult season and I just pray, God, that you would give us incredible um, peace. I pray you'd give us a supernatural strength and an ability to endure so that we can see you make it all work out in a way that only you could. We thank you for it, Lord. We trust you. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If today you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's one of the best decisions you've ever made. And we as a church want to help you with your next steps. You see, we have a free gift we'd like to give you. And in order for you to receive that gift, all you have to do is visit mycalvary.com forward slash begin. Don't forget to tune in next week for our next podcast. God bless you.